You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. (laughs) I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. uh, We are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! (laughs) It is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. (laughs) (laughs) We do a podcast? What the fuck? This is my new toy, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to listen to the Fanos podcast. The pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight is one of my fellow Fanholes. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight on this super secret, spectacular spy cast. Hey guys, this is Tony. I'm really cool, but I got eaten by a dinosaur in some fucking DC animated flick. Yeah. yeah. I I'm like I'm like it feels like that's going to be like my perpetual tirade. You know, you know how like Justin hates <laughs> what what Alan Moore did to James Bond in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I just I get irate at what was done to King Faraday in like every modern incarnation. I'm like, I'm like, so I was thinking about it today, and I was like, I was like, you know, New Teen Titans games, the graphic novel, makes New Frontier look like it was being nice to King Faraday, and I'm like, that just, it just blows my fucking mind. Anyway, so yeah. with, with without, you know, obviously we're we're already in the nitty gritty and talking shit and smack, but what we decided to discuss for this evening. Uh, me and Tony are doing kind of our tie-in episode of the Fanholes Proper podcast, and since around the time you're listening to this, the new James Bond movie Spectre is premiering on November 6th, we figure this would be the perfect time to delve into some comic books that we felt like reading this evening. Well, I guess maybe I felt like reading this evening, so I, I forced, <laughs> I, I, I twisted Tony's arm and made him read some comics with me. But basically, the the two comics that we're going to be talking about tonight is 007 Permission to Die by Mike Grell from Eclipse Comics, which is something that I really, really wanted to read for a really long time, and I wanted you know the podcast to serve as the excuse or the opportunity to read that title. And then for the second half, obviously you've heard us 
or, or you've heard me bitching and moaning and ranting and raving about King Faraday, but we figured since we were doing James Bond and kind of make it a whole spy theme, that in the second half we'd be talking about the original 1950s comic Danger Trail, and specifically focusing on the stories that featured DC's version of James Bond, the super spy King Faraday. So he's, you know, he's the government agent man, I guess. So, so that's, do you, do you that's, think there's like anybody who still doesn't get the pun that it's King Faraday? Yes. There's somebody <laughs> out there. There's somebody out there who's like, who is the burn victim? And they're still watching the English patient. If, if that old lady didn't know who the burn victim was, somebody doesn't know the play on words. You know what was funny? I was listening to a podcast today where they were talking about whatever uh, happened to the man of tomorrow. And, and they were still talking about how they didn't, you know, it's funny how Superman calls himself Jordan Elliot. And he's kind of like, Jordan Elliot. You know, like, he's like, get it? Get it? You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, eh, eh? So I'm sure, I'm sure somebody doesn't get it. But yeah, King for a day. But yeah, King Faraday. So yeah. So I guess what, what I, I am thinking is we will talk about permission to die, like I said in the first half, and then we'll talk about danger trail in the second half. But I, I guess what we can do is we can go issue by issue. And this was a comic series that was released by Eclipse Comics back in 1989. And you know what's interesting that I didn't realize until I started looking into this? Because I, I guess I have to be upfront. Like, I mean, I've seen a lot of James Bond movies, but I, you know, it's unfortunate, but I, I don't know how we, we pair up as James Bond fans between the two of us. But I, I would say I'm kind of a casual fan. Like, I, I didn't realize just how many... Did, uh, like, for some reason, I was under the impression, like, this was, like, the only James Bond comic ever made, and I was, like, so wrong. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, wait, there's tons of James Bond comics. Like, so I, I but, but I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. We're going to be talking about, like, the only James Bond comic ever made. And I'm like, wait, not only is there, like, tons of James Bond Jr. comics out there, which I'm sure everybody's groaning about, but, like, I didn't realize, like, Dark Horse and, and like, all these other companies had, like, all these other like little mini series and books and stuff. I had no idea. So, but anyway, um, if it helps, I do not hate James Bond for anybody who's a big fan of James Bond. I did watch James Bond Jr. as the cartoon show, but in all honesty and no bullshit, the last James Bond movie I saw, and I really enjoyed, by the way, I thought it was really good. It was Pierce Brosnan as James Bond in Golden Eye. So I, I have no idea about Daniel Craig. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Really? Yeah. You haven't seen any of them? They're good, yeah. Tony. You should watch them. They're really good. I mean, Daniel Craig is, yeah. I mean, if anything, like, like I, I don't want to, like, oversell it, but you should at least watch Casino Royale. Like, Casino Royale is great. Like, I think I think the, the other movies, people might get into, like, a fist fight with me over, like, what's good and what's not good and everything. Like, so I'm not going to... Uh, being the casual fan that I am, I'm not going to go to bat for like Quantum of Solace or Skyfall. Skyfall, like like I won't. I, I'm not saying they're bad. I like, them, but but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna you know get into the mud pit with the mutant leader and like break his fucking arm over Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. But I will. I will cut. You know, I will cut some some face 
and and let you bleed over your eyes over <laughs> over a casino royale. Like we will have words about that. But yeah, well, yeah, I, well, apparently, I like, like uh, apparently, like Spectre, a lot of good buzz is going around. A lot of people say Spectre is going to be badass. So. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm. I think that's something I'm looking forward to. I mean, I, I, I think that's something I would be into watching. So, I, and I hope it turns out to be cool. So. Yeah, but it, but this is not about those movies. This is about the comics. So. Well, yeah, well, we're going to talk about the the Mike Grell comics. I love Mike Grell. I mean, I, I, I think I don't know if I've talked about this in detail on the the Fanholes podcast, but I mean, I, I love the Longbow Hunters. I love his work on like Legion of Superheroes. Like I, I mean, I, I really dig. You know, I, I remember even. I think we've had this conversation before, like how how we both bought Shaman's Tears from Image yeah, yeah. stuff. Like I mean, I, I love all that stuff. So I mean, I, I think he's great. And then I was like, oh, he's done a James Bond series, and that's why I was like, oh, I should totally, I should, I should sit down and read that one day. You know, it was like one of those things. You know, <laughs> it's on my list. You know, like so, <laughs> so like I finally got it scratched off the fucking list or whatever. So, so we've watched it or, or, or read it, I guess. It's a comic, it's fair. <laughs> it could have been a motion comic. So, so let's talk about the first issue. The first issue is released in July 1st of 1989. And here's the quick nitty-gritty synopsis. James Bond is sent to Hungary for a scientist's niece in exchange for plans for an economically affordable satellite launch system. In communist Budapest, Bond meets some gypsies who will aid him in the rescue of the scientist's niece. At the camp, Bond discovers a young gypsy girl, Leludi, who is a daughter of his friend Kiram Bey, defending himself against the chief's son. Bond beds Leludi, oh yeah, and they wake up to find the camp in turmoil and under attack by the military. A traitor is found and killed by Vavra, Bond's Budapest contact. And the issue concludes with Vavra being killed by an unseen assailant who uses a silver bullet. So that's the the long and short of the first issue. The scientist, because his name is wacky and crazy and we need to get it out of the way, his name is, let's see if I can pull this off, Widzi Aldo. Widzi Aldo. I, 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 I thought it was Widzi Aldo. Yeah, so that's the yeah. scientist's name, Widzi Aldo. And, and his niece, as you can see, I'm, I'm holding up air quotes because I'm spoiling it right away. But anyway, his niece, air quotes, is named Edane Gala. And so that's basically, you know, this is this is obviously the the reason why I emphasize it's 1989 is this is this is still in the era of the Iron Curtain, you know, like there's there's you know East and West Germany and all this kind of, you know, I mean that's the tone of of the Cold War going on story, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's going on in the first issue. The there, there's a, like a little opening scene where Bond is at this dinner party and he's in his Scottish kilt and everything, and then it looks like they're gonna like the, these terrorists attack. And it looks like they're going to send in the SAS. And then I think Bond, you know, gets the drop on some of the terrorists before they even bust in and stuff like that. So there's this there's there's this kind of I don't know if it's an atypical Bond opening scene. It's not like the one of these like awesome high budget Hollywood openings for Bond. But it definitely was an action piece that that Grell used to open it off with. And then you 
get into this main plot where basically, I guess, you know, the United Kingdom is like, yeah, we want this cool satellite system so we could have one over on, you know, the USA and stuff. So let's let's hook up this this crazy scientist and, and get his, you know, get his niece from out of the, you know, the, the communist region of of, of uh, Hungary, basically. Uh, one thing I noticed that was, like, kind of interesting, even from the first issue, is, like, I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. I grew up with a Roger Moore, James Bond. Moonraker is awesome. Suck my dick. Um, I, I, I like Moonraker, so you're not going to yeah. get an argument from me. I think Moonraker kicks ass. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just grew up with Roger Moore. Timothy Dalton, yeah, Pierce Brosnan was pretty good. But the thing is, is, like, in the 80s, 70s, and 60s, like, there would be killing. There would be death. But by and large, it was very sanitized. You wouldn't see, like, you know, blood splatters and stuff when James Bond shot somebody. Right, right. And, yeah, you wouldn't see, like, you know, and this this comic book is not gory. Don't get me wrong. Mike Grell is a very refined artist. He, he, he knows how to measure his talent when he draws. But there is blood in this. When people get shot, there is, like, you know, obviously exit wounds and people are, they're dying. And you see that they're dying. And, like, it didn't take me out of my cover zone. I was just, like... James Bond's pretty badass, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you What do you think of the look of Bond in this? Like, because a lot of people seem to suggest it's kind of like an amalgamation of, of various yeah. actors who played Bond. I mean, it's a little bit Roger Moore, a little bit Sean Connery, a little bit this and that. Like, did did you did you think of anybody in particular when when looking at Mike Earl's interpretation of James Bond? Well, well, thanks to you, you told me like you know since Sean Connery was for James Bond, which I did know. But, however, the character of James Bond I always had assumed was, you know, English, British, you know. But, apparently, I guess you were saying, like, he might be Scottish because, obviously, you know, Sean Connery is Scottish. And right. And that's why he has a killed on and everything like that. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. Yeah, that, that honestly, seems to be the, the nod there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but, like, as far as his face, I'm going to go really old school because I did see this movie. He kind of looks like George Lazenby. <laughs> Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, he, he he does. I mean, it, I I would not. I sort of hesitate to to nail it down to any one particular actor because I don't think that's what Grell was going for. It's it seemed like he sort of crafted his own interpretation of James Bond out of all the interpretations up until 1989. I mean, you know, you, you yeah, could almost yeah, it, even it see... Like the books almost, yeah. yeah you, you could almost see a little bit of Timothy Dalton in there in a weird sort of yeah. way. You know, like, like you, you never know. I mean, it, it just seems like there were lots of you know, influences, I guess, and and he sort of made up his own version. I mean, I, I'd say, I'd say it, it definitely uses Connery as like a a base layer or blueprint. Oh yeah, yeah. And but then all there there are little nuances that kind of lead you to believe like he's got that kind of scar and 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 he yeah. he has like you know just it's not quite well, you know I mean you got to remember, remember like 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 you said like there's been so many bonds throughout history we were just talking about this before we started the podcast like I was like the James Bond had the most actors who ever played him that's for another time but the thing like you know you really got to remember is like for people like me and Derek who grew up pretty much in the eighties as kids and like, you know, matured during the nineties, we knew that Sean Connery was a very handsome young man, like back in the sixties. 
And a lot of people are more familiar with like Ramirez from Highlander or, you know, his, his, his role in the rock, you know, the, the older, you know, Sean Connery, you know, oh God, league of extraordinary gentlemen. <laughs> We're used to like, you know, bearded gray hair, Sean Connery, but he was quite the, the handsome guy. I mean, I'm not saying that like, you know, like, Ooh, I want to fuck Sean Connery, but I mean, I can see why women <laughs> want to fuck him, you know? It's like, no, no, no. Was, I mean, yeah. you, you're just trying to establish paint a picture between the difference between the, the, young and virile ladies man that he was in the James Bond series as opposed to you know even oh well I, I mean I guess you've got you know you, I think his last movie as Bond was uh, Octopussy wasn't it no ne- never well Roger Moore was an Octopussy but oh but, it was, it was an Octopussy. Sean, okay. Sean, Sean Connery was the it was the non-Bond movie that everybody gets mad at me because I say it's my favorite James Bond film but it's it's never say never again like that oh, was okay. his that was his last James Bond movie, and that was that was kind of like the whole Dark Knight Returns version of James Bond. They like remade Thunderball, but since Sean Connery was the age he was, it was supposed to be like I'm getting too old for this shit, you know, Murtaugh or whatever, <laughs> you, know, Murtaugh, like, yeah. you know, like like that that kind of vibe to. Well, to I, I, I just remember like like he came back after a certain point after he had quit being Bond, and like yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so and 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 I I kind of like the whole aspect where he he meets with the the gypsies and they're going to help him get across the border and stuff like that and rescue. Like it, it kind of reminded me of of a lot of stories. Like I I remember there was like the the Larry Hama arc in GI Joe where they had like the 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 circus family or whatever it was that was going to help like extract stalker i think who got you know he got trapped in some fictional country or whatever you know it it sort of just reminded me of like all those kind of things where you know you've got the the group of sort of in some way you know i guess they're not really resistance fighters but but they are living under the iron curtain and so they have a certain you know, hometown advantage where they can they can help Bond facilitate his his rescue of of this yeah. you know, person who's who's trapped behind enemy lines and stuff like that. And you know, of course, well, Ludi well, the girl, like obviously she's yeah. she's quite quite a beauty and everything. And of course, you know, being a James <laughs> yeah. Bond thing, it's like, hey, baby, what's up? You know, so yeah, she doesn't have a sex pun name, which is really distressing, but it's okay. Like I think one of the things I I kind of liked about this interpretation by Mike Grell, and by the way, I'm probably going to gush about this for the next you know 40 minutes while we talk about this. The art is spectacular. It has that pulp feel to it. That like you know, it, it, almost every panel looks like the cover of like an old pulp fiction novel. But besides that, is like it's a really kind of interesting dichotomy because it's kind of like the 60s and 70s James Bond but in the current time and he hasn't aged. It's almost like Nick Fury almost is like, he's in the current world, but he still has that kind of suave demeanor. You know, he has that, he has that more confident aura, you know, cause like when I, when I think of James Bond, I, I like I said, I really like the Roger Moore era. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh, that was so cheesy. Oh my God. It's tough. And James Bond was more jokey and more flippant and all that stuff. I understand that. I understand why people don't like that, but you know, Sean Connor was very serious. Timothy Dalton was fucking goddamn crazy serious. I'm like, ugh, calm down. And Pierce Brosnan was was a good mix. He was, like, very dry-witted, I guess you would say. And I think, like, you know, even though this is, I think this is before Pierce Brosnan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, this was definitely before Pierce Brosnan. 
Yeah, I, I think like the last movie that came out before this was probably the Living, no, not Living Daylights, but a View to a Kill. Yeah, that, and, that's that's kind of why I said maybe there's a little shade of Timothy Dalton in, in in his interpretation somewhere, but but yeah, this is definitely long before Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, and like you know, I, I kind of like that you know, like like you said, it's an amalgamation, but he just has that kind of old school sensibility, and I guess that's why I haven't watched the Daniel Craig movies because I mean he does seem like he's more born identity, but at the same time. I'm not an asshole as far as, like, change. I understand you have to change the character for the times. You have to make him more relevant. He can't just be, you know, just like, I dress in a three-piece suit all the time, and I'm always so suave. But being the kind of person I am, you know, like me and Derek have, you know, ranted before about Banana Yellow Iron Man and, you know, old-school Peter. I kind of like the old-school James Bond in the three-piece suit, you know, and the, you know, the, uh, the... I forget his, the name of his gun, but, like, you know, he just has a pistol and stuff, and he's the, just, the, like... The Walther, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Walther and everything, and it's like, that's kind of my James Bond, and I think Mike Grell wanted to make something new, which I appreciate what he did, but he also harkened back to a lot of those old things we liked about James Bond. You can see that from the first issue, and it just keeps going on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it definitely, it definitely you know, it, it brings new new shades and colors to existing James Bond tropes, but you, you you never get the idea that you're not reading a James Bond story. You know, he, he obviously, he, you know, he, he's doing the super spy thing. He's, he's, you know, getting into like knife fights with the chief's son. He's, he's, (laughs) you know, sleeping with a beautiful woman from a, a foreign land, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I guess, I guess we should just move on to, Describing what yeah, happens in the do, second yeah. issue, and and this actually came out. Uh, the the first one came out July eighty nine, and this came out in September eighty nine. So it, it's it's been a couple months, but but it still seems like it's sort of on schedule. And and we'll get to what happens eventually with the third issue later. But here goes the synopsis for Permission to Die issue number two. Although Bond is ordered off the mission. He disobeys orders and makes plans to intercept the heavily armed prisoner transport that is moving Idane to Budapest. Leludi and Bond get it on one last time. Bond then rescues Idane by way of a mini-helicopter that is headed to the Austrian border. There is a helicopter chase sequence in which Bond's mini-chopper takes damage, resulting in a fuel leak. This forces them to land just outside the border. At that point, escaping on foot, Bond and Edain are tracked by a Russian assassin called the Wolf. This is the man who killed Vavra and was hired by the KGB to recapture Edain. Eventually, they wind up crossing the border via horseback, and Bond goes back to end the Wolf for killing his friend. So that's basically the long and short of the second issue. It's it's interesting because uh, I, I was looking at some reviews of it, and they kind of describe how conceivably, like I guess you could read these two issues and never know that there was a third issue because it does it does feel sort of wrapped up. Like he's 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 yeah. rescued the girl. He, he and and if the villain is this Russian assassin, like obviously he goes back and blows the guy the fuck up, like typical badass James Bond style, you know. So you're like, oh well, you know, if if you didn't know any better, 
you know, that, that if you didn't know any better that there was a third issue, you kind of figure like this is all kind of wrapped up and everything. But I mean, all the action in it is, is really fun. Really I mean, good. You know, yeah. the, the, the helicopter chase, just to talk about it a bit, like it kind of well, reminds you, you, you remember, you remember like in the old Bond film, I can't remember the title of it, but you remember when he got that, that, that small heli gyro that was in a suitcase? That, that yeah. kind of reminds yeah, me yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's reminiscent of of James Bond films. I don't, I, I, I don't think my lexicon is good enough to reference like different action sequences in certain James Bond films. But what the chase sequence reminded me of with it's basically he's in the mini helicopter, and then there are you know actual military grade like really for reals helicopters chasing after him basically, and they have this sequence where they they fly it down into like a train tunnel, and the guy gets crashed in the middle of the train and all this other stuff and what that kind of reminded me of is the visitor boat chase that boat chase kind of reminded me of that the the visitor shuttle sequence from you remember like V the original series oh okay, yeah, okay. like 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 you know how because it's like Donovan like takes the shuttle and everything and they they zoom around and everything and it's like he's learning how to use it for the first time and then they have like I know they had this one sequence where the, you know it's in L A so they go through like one of these like tunnels that are you know are built under like one of these hills and everything and that's kind of what it reminded me of that they're going through like you know basically he's flying around and his mini copter is so small I can actually you know go through this tunnel and out the other side whereas the other guy just gets screwed up because the train comes out and basically crashes into him and that's how he sort of saves the day and they they escape and everything but I I mean I like that I like the fact that there's this kind of I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, this this idea that these these guys, you know, James Bond and the Wolf are both, they, they you know, they, they're sort of equals in terms of hunting one well, another type thing. Well, that's, you know? a, that's, like a, that's like a James Bond trope, though. It's like, that's why I kind of got clued in a little bit. And because in, in a lot of the early James Bond movies, there's always the mastermind. There's always the big guy. Who who does everything, you know, whether it's Blofeld or, you know, whoever. And there's always a really strong henchman, whether it be like, you know, Oddjob or Jaws. And I was like, I think Wolf might be that. I was like like still wondering at the end of this comic. I was like, but Wolf comes off as that competent henchman, which yeah, I really love yeah. about James Bond. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's like, you know, he's always going up against this guy who's really badass, but it's like but there's another, you know, so it's like, I, I kind of got that feeling, and I'm like, yeah, the wolf is badass, and he's really, really cool, but I was like, I think he's that really cool henchman, you know? Yeah, I mean, he he definitely was. I mean, it, it seems like one of those things, though, where the, the wolf would be the type of guy in the comics that would be like the the Deathstroke, the Terminator, or the Boba Fett, or something like this guy who, who he's not quite Darth Vader, but he's he's this really cool adversary for James Bond to to be stacked against basically and you know it, you know i mean there there is that moment where it's like okay they're riding on horseback and he nearly like you know takes him down just by sniping and stuff like that and i i just kind of like the idea that 
you know, Bond had planted all these explosives and, and that's how they, they bust through the border and everything. But he still had one saved for this wolf asshole. And it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. come on a little further, motherfucker. All right. You know, and it's like, if you're going to take yeah. out somebody who's like, you know, basically a, an expert sniper, it's like, that was a pretty cool way to, to do it. Just not to fuck around. It's like, you know, uh, it's like n- nuke them from orbit. Like, it's the only way to be sure. It's like, just mine that motherfucker. <laughs> like, that, that way we'll know he's fucking dead, you know? So it's like, and, and, and there doesn't have to be any, I don't know. That, that's something I like about James Bond. There doesn't have to be any hand wringing over it. It's just kind of like, you know what? That was cool. <laughs> like, you know, like, and yeah, nobody's yeah. going to be like, Oh no, like James Bond doesn't kill, you know, like I don't have <laughs> yeah. to, hear any of this bullshit about, you know, James Bond doesn't kill, because it's like, fucking A, he kills. He's got a license, motherfucker. You know, so I was like, cool, good, like, blow that fucking asshole up. You know? well, and, 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 like, that's what I was kind of, like, alluding to, is, like, with these kind of characters, like, the, you know, you've heard this trope many times, but it is true. Your hero is only as, as good as his villain. And when you've got a badass villain and the hero overcomes him, hell yeah, you're into it. You're like, yeah, you know, just, yeah. You know, it's like when when you see that moment where, you know, like, you know, he, he might have, like, kicked this guy's ass, you know. It's like, I like, again, I'm bringing up old Bond films, but, like, with Oddjob, you know, he's got a fucking razor hat and shit. And when James Bond beats Oddjob, you're just kind of like, this is pretty fucking cool, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and, and I, I really did enjoy their their tete-a-tete against one another. I mean, I thought that was really fun and cool and stuff like that. Oh, and, 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 and again, I will say this again, and I know I already warned you guys, I already warned you listeners, God damn, the art during that was great. Yeah, Jesus. yeah. No, no, the art during it was, was really awesome. You, you know what I wanted to talk about, and, and we, we don't have to talk about it, like, too much, but, like, Kiram Bay was actually from, like, some of the original James Bond movies. So it's like, there there are lots of cool, like, drawings and everything, like, basically of, of like, previous... It's not like he he doesn't... He doesn't, like, retell the stories from the previous movies, but there's lots of these sequences where, you know, you, you see sort of, like, the, the memories or whatever, and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that dude, you know? So it's like, it's like it's sort of vague enough to where it doesn't, like, hit you over the head and say, like, it specifically occurred into From Russia with Love, you know, whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yet you've got you've got that sort of sequence where it's like, you know, if you had the vaguest memory of Kiram Bay from Russia with Love, it's just enough to sort of trigger that without just smacking you in the face and going, "Dude, this is totally from like a previous movie and stuff." So yeah, it's, I, not, it's not like it's not like nostalgia, bitches, but it's like there's some nostalgia. Enjoy. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I think there is. It's like it's kind of cool that this. I mean, I, I don't, you know, like I said, I, I'm not very well versed in any of the Dark Horse James Bond comics or how things, how things tie into one another. But it, it it does sort of legitimize this story where it's like, oh, look, it's referring to, like, previous James Bond movies, and there are characters in it that that relate to the, the previous movies as well, you know? So you're like, oh, well, you know, that... I mean, if you're, if you're a fan of the films, obviously, and then you come to this comic series, I mean, it definitely... To, for me, it definitely legitimizes it, you know, in, in my mind, where you're like, oh, hey, yeah, this this totally fits in. Like, this, you know, this this is just like, you know, another James Bond flick, but it's in, in comic book form. 
Well, I, I think the thing about Mike Grell is, like, a lot of people, a lot of youngins, you know, probably don't know who the fuck Mike Grell is. Very, very, like, anatomically correct artist. He's, like, his, his drawings are just beautiful. And that aside, you know, like, everybody's heard about great artists. But, like, one of the things about Mike Grell is he's usually pretty big on doing his own thing. Or, at the very most, like, you know, if he does something that's, like, more comic-y oriented... He doesn't usually just jump on like you know, Aliens versus Predator or Robocop. So for him to do James Bond, he obviously had to have a love for the character. You know, he, yeah. he wanted yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that comes across in the work and everything. Yeah, de- definitely. So I guess I guess we can we can go into the, the final issue, issue number three. And this this is what I was sort of hinting at, alluding to earlier. This did not come out until nineteen ninety one, September yeah. ninety one. So it's like there was there was basically like a two year gap between issue two and issue three. Like this isn't quite as bad as like, you know, the MSA team where the anime like started in nineteen ninety three and they didn't finish it until nineteen ninety nine. Like that's still I think that takes the record, but I it, this did trigger like memories of there there was an, a great article on CBR that was trying to keep up with all the series from I I guess they call them the aughts, you know, like the two thousands that started but never finished. And I know it's funny because we were we were sort of having a, a pre recording jam session where me and Tony were talking and, and Kevin Smith had come up and it's like, you know, a number of Kevin Smith series just were never finished. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, you're never going to see daredevil to target issue number two. You know, you're never going to, it's like, it's like, will, will the whole Batman, I guess, quote unquote trilogy of his Batman stories after cacophony ever get finished it's like who the fuck knows you know like things like that basically and and there 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 were a number of series there there was a series i i wanted to talk about at some point on the podcast but of course it's never been finished and that was whatever happened to baron von schlock so it's like there there, and 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 there's tons of series that of course i never followed but that you know basically cbr had this great article like all these series that basically went unfinished and so i guess we can say to this series credit at, at least the third issue did actually come out this is this is more a it's case of like <laughs> this is more a case of like the ultimates or danger girl like i it's funny i wasn't i mean it's like i was around for comics but i don't i don't think i i i was probably just getting into finding comic specialty shops in 1989 well, so so i probably didn't I, I probably wasn't paying attention to the scuttlebutt about like what books were late or overdue. I probably, as a kid, I didn't give a shit about that stuff. I was probably just like, "Ooh, new Batman, new whatever, new whatever. Wh- where are the back issues of Silver Surfer? You know, and and just show me where to go." And like, I was just yeah. getting into the scene. But it's like I do remember, you know, being in college or being a college graduate and going to the local store in Overland called Comics Inc. And this is, you know, right around in Culver City, basically like Studio City and stuff. And there were, there was always the scuttlebutt of, is Ultimates out yet? No, it's delayed again. Is Ultimates out yet? No, it's delayed again. Hey, guess what? Danger Girl 4 came out. Holy fuck! We've been waiting for that for three years! You know, like, like shit like that would be the discussion in the, in the comic shops about, you know, books that were 
well, yeah, I mean, basically it, it, had it, had like an enormous delay time, and well, so it's like, also like it's also the, the the company because at the time, you know, especially like right between like the 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 fringe before the comic boom with Image and Valiant and stuff like that, this kind of came up for that. Guys like Eclipse, uh, Kitchen Sink Press, Antarctic, they were really small, like kind of independently funded, like you know, companies. So even if they got a big creator. Even if they like, even if it wasn't a matter of money, it's like it was time thing too. It's like you know, if Mike Grell's working on this, or if uh, you know John Byrne doesn't want to do the next next men, you know, it's 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 about their timetable, and they just have to like you know relent and be like, shit, we got Mike Grell. I'm not going to force him to do anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, there there could have been a factor in that they were not one of the big two, so that that could have played a factor in the delay of release. I I mean, I, obviously, I didn't do a hell of a lot of research on exactly why it was delayed so long, but we, we do know that, that, you know, two years is, like, a pretty lengthy delay for... It's a for, stretch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in in its defense, like, hey, that you know, it actually came out. But but I do think it's interesting that conceivably you could have just read the first two issues and, and it, it could have been conceivably a complete story. And so the, I'll just, the second issue doesn't like tie up perfectly, but it ties up well enough where you could have been like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and, and do the last synopsis for the permission to die issue number three. Bond delivers a Dane to her uncle, Dr. Eric Wizialdo. At a secret With, base. <laughs> at a secret base in Idaho. Over dinner, Bond is asked if he would like to relax and heads to the doctor's casino with Sula, his female bodyguard, later that evening. While swimming, Bond spots Mary Chase, a local hunting guide, who explains that the good doctor is up to something sinister. After having some fun water sports with Sula, Bond arranges to meet with Mary Chase and later at the casino further discusses with the doctor what he's planning. Sneaking into the base via an underwater entrance, Bond discovers the true nature of the doctor's evil scheme and his relationship with his niece. She was actually his student who he was having an illicit affair with. 007 must prevent the Doctor from exploding his new rocket technology in British Columbia, Canada, which he hopes will cause global nuclear disarmament. Bond is captured by Sula, who arranges a most painful death. Mary appears after tailing Bond, and she kills Sula, saving Bond's life. Together, they head off to stop the maddened couple by rigging the Doctor's lair to explode as he launches his rocket, which Bond has sabotaged. So that's the long and short of issue number three. I just wanted to point out that even though I didn't mention it in the synopsis, Felix Leiter, James Bond's U.S. contact, makes an appearance in this. Yeah, he does. You know, because obviously they're going to Idaho, so somebody's got to represent, so Felix Leiter shows up and everything. And you know what? I I don't I don't know. Sula seems to me to be like one of those weird, like you, you know you know Donkey who played bad guys, yeah. You know who would play Sula if they made a movie of it? It'd be like Brigitte Nielsen or something. You know, like she's like yeah. this tall, imposing. You know, uh, Grace Grace 
Jones, like I said, in the, uh, yeah, the View to a Kill, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely that kind of vibe and everything. And then, like, Mary Chase just seems kind of like a, a cute Daisy Dukes type girl, where it's like, oh, shucks and gala, like, what what's going on, James Bond? Like, that kind yeah. of you know, thing, you know, where she's just kind of like a cowgirl, basically, and stuff. And I mean, they're, they're, I, I, they're, they're both interesting Bond girls. I mean, they're they're obviously totally, you know, divergent from one another, but... I, I, will, I will say, like, like him swimming underneath and going, like, to the, the hideout and stuff, it did kind of tickle, like, not as much of a grand scale, but it did kind of tickle that, like, you know, old Bond feel, like, the, the, you know, M6 guys rappelling down into the volcano or the Moonraker thing. And I was like, it's kind of a cool set piece, you know? It's like, we don't get that anymore. It's usually like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We usually well, just get Bond, yeah, with the bad guy, yeah. I, I, I think this plays into... I, I don't know if this is something that you dug about the Roger Moore stuff, but, I mean, I, I think it applies to the Sean Connery films as well. But, I mean, obviously going to his secret hideaway base, I mean, it's yeah. like he, he basically, like, li- this doctor lives in the Batcave. He's got this weird mask on his face, like he's the fucking Phantom of the Opera. I mean, there, there's obviously that element of if if this wouldn't fly in a Hollywood movie in 1989, it, it probably was considered, quote-unquote, okay to put in a comic book, if that makes any yeah. sense. And I, I don't mean that, like, in any negative or disparaging oh, way, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but it, it, it may have been looked down upon by this point, or, or even now, like, you know, compared to, like, a, a Daniel Craig Bond movie, like, w- would you have Benicio Del Toro running around in a Phantom of the Opera mask? Like, I don't know, probably not, you know? So it's like... Yeah, well, it, well, I mean, like, the old Bond villains did have, like, that kind of flamboyance, you know? You had Goldfinger, yeah, yeah. you had Blofeld... Yeah, you know, they had that like that that kind of almost, you know, dramatic presence, you know, it was just like they were over the top, but that was totally cool. And like, you know, him wearing a mask and everything, I I was totally fine with it. I was like, yeah, it's it's kind of silly, but a lot of Bond villains were Bond villains were silly. And you know, like I said, one of my favorite Bond villains is Jaws. Jaws was, you know, I forgot the actor's name, but he was like a 7-foot tall guy with like you know, basically prosthetic braces for the film, and he could like you know bite into anything, and I'm like, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, no, and that that's exactly what this character exemplifies. I mean, I I just wanted to make the point that it's not only that he wears a mask like the Phantom of the Opera, but also in the middle of this bat cave full of cool stuff that anybody would give their like left toe to live in. You know, oh, yeah. it's like he's got his own organ, he's playing his music, like, <laughs> yeah. like he, he's he's got that, like you said, he's got that Grace Jones. Bridget Nielsen bodyguard that he's probably stooping, even though she wants to get in James Bond's pants, you know, and all this kind of stuff. There's, of course, in, in, it's like the obligatory casino, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it's basically like, you know, any kind of trope that, you know, is in James Bond that he found a way to, to fit it within the, the context of the story and everything. I I did kind of think like, Oh, like this is kind of weird. Like where they, that when Felix basically holes away with with Bond and Mary in the the hotel room and everything, and they they yeah. show him all the surveillance so photos, and then they show the picture of 
the quote unquote niece, like I've spoiled, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing the air quotes, but the niece that's like making out with, with Wizaldo or whatever. And, and you're just, first you're like, wait, is is that, I, I was like, I was like, wait, is this incest? And then I'm like, no, it turns out it's not. Thank God. You know? So it's just like, but at first you're kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And then, and then you realize like, oh, well th- that was all sort of a front, I suppose, to, to get his, his student lover back or whatever. So I, the, the other thing I thought that might be worth discussing is, and, and this is obviously post watchmen, but it, it does seem like his master plan is very Ozymandias like, it's like, I'm going to create, well, it's like, I'm going to create this, this, you know, horrible event so that people will stop doing horrible things like, like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I've ever really, bought into that philosophy it's like it's yeah. like it's kind of like i will strangle you tony so no podcasters ever strangle any podcasters ever again and i'm just kind of like wait a minute like that sounds kind of fucked up and stupid like yeah, i don't yeah you know yeah, but, the whole like like I, I will bring out the worst in mankind because someone will bring out the best is like probably not <laughs> it's like it's like if i if i do something really really ugly it'll scare other people from doing something just as ugly and i'm kind of like i don't know that i really subscribe to that really but (laughs) you know i don't know like i mean but but that's his plan anyway and and luckily you know of course james bond is you know it's it's not the watchman universe you know james bond does actually stop his plan from from proceeding and everything and they, they have this weird kind of you know, I, I you know I guess you know James Bond runs off with Mary the cowgirl and everything, and and they leave you know the the doctor and the 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 niece there to like yeah. you know basically pay their comeuppance for their wacky ass plan and everything. So and that's yeah, well, that. I mean, yeah, that, that, well, I, I think one of the things I I really like is like the first two issues. Like we said, they they they, they kind of turn things on a heel. You know, there's like a kind of a classic James Bond story, but with some cool updates, you know, like, like I said, the wolf is pretty badass. You know, it was like, our job throws a hat. Jaws has big teeth. The wolf is like a sniper and like a military professional. So that's pretty cool. But then the third issue, it's not bad at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not deriding it, but we get kind of like that good, good old fashioned James Bond showdown. You know, I was like, and I know you saw this in the panels. There's like a couple of times where like James Bond just has like those poses where he's just like, that's James Bond, you know, <laughs> is like, is like, you know, he just seemed very much in action as like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, agent with the license to kill. So, you know, I, th- like you said, we said Mike Grell obviously wanted to do this story and the art obviously shows it, but also not only that, but I think, you know, I, I've used this term a couple of times on fan holes and I, I'm sorry for bringing out this trope. But I think this was really a love letter from Mike Grell to like all the James Bonds who came before, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. I think I I think what I would say is, and and it's interesting that you bring up the distinction of you you say you enjoyed like the Roger Moore era, and you know it's interesting to note that you kind of said that Timothy Dalton was kind of he went overboard for you, or at least, and I, I think a lot of people compare the Craig version of James Bond, like that Timothy Dalton was kind of like the prototype for that version of Bond, you know, that, that Daniel Craig would become. So it's like, I, I think I could see the more grounded Bonds in the first and second issue, but by the third issue, you're definitely into the 
the Roger Moore and even, you know, the yeah. whole doc, Dr. No, you know, Sean Connery territory where, like you say, it, it is a bit more extravagant. You know, it, it, it's 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 that thing that I think will forever be haunted by things like Austin Powers, you know, where it's like yeah. well, basically if you if you go into Austin Powers territory, the these days, have, have lasers on their heads. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. like you've gone you unfortunately now you've gone too far. It's like it's like basically, you know, if you're if you're doing the on Her Majesty's Secret Service Lazenby stuff, it's like, sorry, that's basically Austin Powers. Like, that's too far today, you know? So it's like, it's like I, I don't know that I'd say that the third issue goes too far, but I could see people interpreting it that way, you know, especially the whole, I mean, you know, the whole, you know, I'm playing my organ while James Bond's stooping my bodyguard, you know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a single tear from my masked face, you know, like those kind of things where you're like, okay, I, it's like, I get it, you know, like, but, but, you know, it's like, depending on how exactly you play that, you know, you know, that could elicit laughs or that could be taken seriously. But, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, either way, what you're basically saying is that, you know, all three of these issues are love letters to, you know, a multitude of errors of James Bond. So, I mean, hopefully, if you're a fan of all errors of James Bond, you should be able to come away with reading this with, with some sense of appreciation for, for the work that Mike Grell's put into it. I mean, if anything else, like you're saying, it's some fucking fantastic artwork. So, I mean, if you if you like, you know, I... I, I it's funny. I, I feel weird. Like, I'm like, you don't know who Mike Grell is, but I'm like, if you know who like Neil yeah. Adams is, you know, it's like, it's like Mike Grell probably was, was influenced a lot by Neil Adams. It's like, how do you not know who Mike Grell is? Mike Grell's awesome. I don't know. But, yeah. but, you know, yeah. I hopefully, hopefully yeah. if you're listening to this, you at least know who Mike Grell is, or at least you know enough to listen to us when we, when we say, you know, his artwork is something to behold. And if you're a fan of James Bond and you haven't seen this, this is, totally worth checking out if nothing else for the art alone but i think i think the story like you're saying i think the story is just fine i mean i think it's it's traditional bond it's fun and you know it, for me it's kind of refreshing because it seems like kind of like what what we were uh, and what we may end up talking about in the second half with king faraday if i bitch and moan about modern versions of it a little <laughs> more but it's like that that notion of you know i i do kind of get tired of that whole notion that like well james bond's a misogynist pig and he's bad and it's just kind of like all right like chill the fuck out, guys. Like, hey, yeah, last time, last time I checked, these girls are not like fighting him off. They're just yeah, like, yeah, James, like, no, wait, no, no, never mind. I want you to fuck me. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, really. it's not like yeah. So I, I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, dude, they're, they're into it. Like, they're fine. Like, it's not like he's doing anything to, to make these girls do anything against their will. In fact, most of them are kind of like, come upstairs or you know, come underwater with me or whatever craziness is going on. But <laughs> there's definitely going to be some horizontal action wherever James Bond goes. And that's just the way it is. So I don't, I mean, if, if, if you got some kind of problem with it, then I guess you just shouldn't be watching that kind of movie period, you know, or, or reading that kind of comic book, I suppose. I, I think probably the best thing I can say about this uh, series, uh, three issues. It's a, okay. It's not a quick read. There's a lot of war balloons, but still it's very engrossing as far as when you read it. Especially the first issue, there's a lot of war balloons. As far as like how I felt when I was reading this, especially like with the third issue, like I said, I'm a Roger Moore fan. Hate me all you want, listeners. I know Roger Bo Roger Moore is cheesy. He's, he's, he's the he, he destroyed the franchise, or whatever. He's George Clooney. I, I don't give a shit. 
But to me, this harkened back to like the old days when I watched the James Bond marathons on TNT. And I think this would fit in really easily in like the that canon, you know. It was like this is before Timothy Dalton, you know, this is before, you know, Pierce Brosnan, this is before, you know, Daniel Craig. It's like it kind of fits in that nice sixties vibe, but it is different enough. Like I said, there's a little bit of blood, there's a little bit of, you know, a little more snarkiness, you know, there's a little more, you know, like I guess I guess you would say eighty nine mindset. And I like that. I, I would so even I, yeah. I, I would even go as far to say besides there's a little more blood I'd say there's there's a little more uh, sultriness to the to the the love scenes and everything than, than yeah, yeah, exactly. some of the previous films I mean that it does it does I'm not saying it's like oh it's a nudie mag woo but it's like it it pushes the envelope and it's done tastefully yeah. you know like so it's like one of those things where it's like if you see Luludi like dancing around and everything you're just like oh look like you can tell they're 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 making love to one another, but it's not so. Um, I I don't know. It, to me, it's it's tastefully done. And, and, but, and most of the, most of the older Bond films, they were underneath the covers, and they were just like, "Well, yeah, that was yeah. great." It was just right after they were done. So yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but this is this is a little less under the covers and more like tastefully positioned Janet Jackson hands or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course, it's Mike Grell, so he could draw. Fabulous looking female, so I mean, yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Is this really what you want? Living in the shadows? Hunting? Being hunted? Always alone? I don't stop to think about it. All right, well, cool. I'm I'm glad you you seem to get a kick out of that. I I, I wasn't sure. I know we're not like the I, I wouldn't say we're the world's biggest James Bond fans or anything, but this was definitely something I wanted to check out. And of course, like I said, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to learn that there are more James Bond comics that I never really knew about. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what else I can sort of uncover because that 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 was never my forte of expertise. But reading this has sort of opened my eyes to that in, in that sense that there's a, a bigger world of, of James Bond comics if I want to to pursue that avenue of comic reading. But yeah, I guess what we'll do is we will take a quick break and play a promo trailer. And then when we come back, me and Tony are going to discuss four issues with the King Faraday stories from Danger Trail. So stay tuned. Here at Quark's, customer satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. Lieutenant Commander Worf reporting for duty, sir. You're the best crew any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. It is quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. You've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? Shields up. <laughs> Damage report. Balance stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the prophets. A Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Leyland. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. All right, welcome back. So we hope you liked that exciting trailer for a wonderful, wonderful podcast that I enjoy listening to. And we are back to talk about 
another super spy, another government agent in along the lines with our whole James Bond themed episode. And this is a DC Comics character. This is basically going to focus on King Faraday because we're talking about the 1950s comic book series called Danger Trail. And basically this is kind of like an anthology book where they featured a lot of different either super spies or private eye type characters, kind of like the whole film noir type vibe where there's a bunch yeah. of, you know, hard-boiled detectives, like those those type of stories. But I guess essentially we're, we're focusing on King Faraday because... Yeah, these were like Jumbo Comics back in the day when Jumbo Comics didn't really have like a lot of like, you know... Giant size X Men, you know, like hype and stuff. It was like these are big ass comics, so yeah, and they've they've got a bunch of different stories. It, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like the way action comics used to be. I mean, yeah, Superman was the lead feature, but then a lot of times you'd get like a Congo Bill story, or you'd get a Vigilante yeah. story, or you know, you'd get a Zatara story. So yeah, or Slayer Bradley. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there, there there were all kinds of guys in the background there, and so this seemed to be essentially like a bunch of different hard-boiled, you know, it's like basically like five different versions of a Dixon Hill story from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> like, that's kind of what Danger Trail was. But Actually, I remember, I remember Derek, I actually said, like, I think there's two King Faraday stories in the second issue, and you're like, no, it's just another guy I would like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, wait, no, there's just one King Faraday story, but some other guy who looks like uh, exactly like him. I think he's supposed to be, like, blonde-haired, but who the fuck can tell with the, the coloring system back then? They, he does look... Yeah. I mean, I, I knew what, which one you were talking about, because I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not King Faraday. That's, like, another guy. And you're like, oh, I thought it was King Faraday. Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> You know what I thought was interesting, and, and we can talk about this since this is the, the James Bond-themed fan holes episode for for this this week. I, I thought, like, well, isn't it interesting that Danger Trail, basically, like, the first issue, and, and I guess technically, like, if you want to, like, get nitty-gritty about it, it's like the first issue of Danger Trail features the first appearance of King Faraday. Now, as we've sort of already alluded to, in the first issue, he wasn't really a government agent. He really wasn't a super spy. He was more, strictly speaking, a private investigator. He was he was a Dixon Hill type guy. It's like yeah, you know, some, dick, yeah. some some hot girl came to his detective agency and he has to help her out. You know, and this was in May 1950. But I mean, pretty even, even 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 talks like it too. He's like you know, the hot dame crossed across the trails. I saw her go to the, you know, like, I saw her cross across the subway, but those, you know, those rails weren't hotter than she was, but I knew something was wrong. I had to save her before things got too hot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it. well, you, you, what's interesting is it goes from, like, he goes from Sin City to James Bond almost in, like, by the second issue. I mean, I'd say yeah. at, least, at least by the third issue, it's definite, and they, they make the transition yeah. in the second issue. And And just to give the context... It's like the second issue is July of 1950, and the third issue is September of 1950. Now, keep in mind, this is all still in 1950. Now, Ian Fleming, as far as I know, did not write Casino Royale, which is the first James Bond novel, until 1952. So, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you know, obviously, King Faraday is not exactly like James Bond, and he's never had this yeah. second 
celebrity or, you know, it's not like he's had like, you know, 20, over 20 films made of him or anything like that. But I just found it interesting that, that King Faraday does predate James Bond, given that he's, he's essentially goes on to become, you know, the government agent contact for a lot of characters in DC Comics, whether it was in, in the Teen Titans or the Suicide Squad or whatever. Like, for me, it was like he was one of those guys where I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's King Faraday, dude. Like, he's cool, you know, and, and, and I'll just, you know, leave it at that until I bitch and bone and rant and rave. But, I mean, that was well, kind I of... Mean, on, you can, like, you can like see, you can see Ian Fleming, like, you know probably drawing from a lot of sources, like, you know, like Sherlock Holmes, James Bond is pretty smart, he can solve crimes. Yeah. And then maybe read King Faraday, and he was like, that guy's pretty cool, you know, like like the Lucas thing, you know, it was like, yeah, we all love Star Wars, but it was it was from Kurosawa films, it was from, you know, The Seven Samurai. So there's like, you know, The Hidden Fortress, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking from something as long as you make something new, so... Yeah, if Ian yeah. Fleming did read it, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, I can see what you're saying, though. It's like he was kind of, maybe not technically, I don't know about stories before then, if there's, like, anybody who did this before. But King Faraday was kind of one of the first super spies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he seems like a, I, I just found it interesting that I don't know that I would have necessarily thought that. I, I might have thought that, you know, James Bond is the end-all, be-all of, of super spies and, and one of the originals, the first. But, you know, in this case, I'm kind of like, well, you know, King Faraday was kind of like a proto-James Bond, sort of, you know, yeah. like, I mean, obviously, like what we're saying, the first issue doesn't necessarily focus on him being a government agent you know this is the the first issue is more the hard-boiled detective type guy yeah. and, and you know this issue it's like it's like 12 pages yeah. yeah yeah usually usually you know king faraday was the lead feature in danger trail and i mean at best you know the the, the lead feature would get you know 10 to 12 pages or so so the the first issue king faraday feature story was titled hunters of the whispering gallery and I, of course, have to give credit to Mike's Amazing World of Comics because I was kind of hard-pressed to write these synopses myself. And luckily, he actually has some synopses for all of these short stories. So I am just going to read them so you guys can keep up with what we're, what we're talking about here. So the synopsis for Hunters of the Whispering Gallery is as follows. King Faraday overhears two men plotting to kill an arriving passenger in a train station. He doesn't see the faces of the killers, but he manages to get a description of the intended victim. King searches for a passenger matching the description. He then recognizes the killer's voice and realizes the victim is a young, red-headed woman. King protects her and rushes into the train tunnel. The killers try to follow, but are run over by a train. King questions the woman, Julie Stevens, and is invited into her house. He is unable to learn why she was targeted for murder. While looking at Julie's photographs, another killer attacks King Faraday. Once again, he doesn't see the killer, but he escapes unharmed. He then rescues Julie from a similar fate. King then returns to the room where he was attacked and learns the reason Julie was targeted. One of her photographs pictured her dancing with a former Nazi, a war criminal, Martin Vorman. Vorman is trying to kill Julie to prevent her from identifying him. The Nazi holds King and Julie at gunpoint and escapes the house. He tries to escape by plane, but King stops him by crashing his car into the taxiing plane. 
So that basically is the short story for the first appearance of King Faraday. And, you know, I'd just like to point out, King Faraday is a pretty cool guy. Uh, he also is kind of like James Bond, kind of a ladies' man, because, of course, yeah. Julie is a beautiful redhead. You know, it's it, it again, you know, she's about a socialite, yeah. The, the hard-boiled detective, you know, with this, like, hot redhead coming, you know, into his detective agency. Oh, please help me, King Faraday. You're my only hope, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, hey, like, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty fun story. I mean, there's not there's not a whole hell of a lot to it. But I mean, in terms of our theme, the, you know, the spy theme, uh, it's he he again is just more like the Dixon Hill type guy. But it's interesting, though, because the 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 there's, outcome, there's though. There's a little bit of it with the whole idea that the the, the the killer is a Nazi war criminal that's like sort of hiding out. So it does it does sort of elevate a detective story to a little more of an international level with that being the end result, as opposed to it just being like, oh, hey, that was like Bobby, who I saw, like, you know, drown a fish. And now he wants, you know, to kill me so I don't get him in trouble. You know, whereas it's like, oh, it's not Bobby. It's, you know. Hair, you know, it's Hair Vorman, you know, and he's a Nazi. Yeah. So, you know, that that makes well, it. And, and all that, and all that, but like King Faraday is actually a very sharp cookie. Is like usually PIs, they seem to like in most stories, they like kind of stumble onto stuff. You know, it's like, oh, this like you know this 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 Jagger was actually belongs to this blah blah blah. And like comic stories, they seem to be like kind of hard luck. You know, I I, I got by by the skin of my teeth, but like. He's actually in the subway, and he hears, like, he calls it the Whispering Gallows because there's a certain part in the train station where you could hear somebody across the room. And he's like, you know, I heard this, and, like, I hear somebody, like, planning a, like, you know, murder. I'm going to go check this out. And he, like, you know, uses deduction and stuff, which is very detective-like, but it's also kind of a spy thing, you know? It's like, he's very, he's very on his game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he... I, I, you know, obviously it's like he's the lead character in his own feature, so he's usually the most capable guy in the room at any given moment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 just, I just, yeah. But but you're you're right about the Nazi thing, and it's like because like I I I can't remember the exact way it plays out, but like either he danced with a girl or no no he danced with a girl, but he did not use his real name, and that's why there was confusion, and it was like. She was like, I know that face, and like King Faraday is like, well, the, the face doesn't match up with the name. You know, this guy's dead, so whoever you dance with is not him. And then they find out that it's like, you know, I don't want to you know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, and then that sort of elevates it to this sort of international level, you know, that that usually would be in any kind of James Bond super spy thing, you know, the, the fact that there's, you know, foreign countries and, you know, different, you know, basically somebody who is pretending to be someone else, you know, essentially, you know, the definition of a spy, right? Like, I mean, sort of, he's, he's yeah. sort of a, a Nazi war criminal in hiding, pretending not to be a German Nazi war criminal, you know, essentially. Yeah. And not too many PIs will drive their car to a plane to like get the bad guy. So. <laughs> well, Hey, you know, what's funny is Julie's like, uh, not only do I want to, and, and again, you know, 
King Faraday is not forcing himself on anybody. <laughs> Julie's no. totally, totally into his shit. Yeah. And not only that, it's like every five minutes she's like, I've inherited all this money. Like, not only will I sleep with you, but you can, like, live off my money forever. And, you know, most normal dudes would be like, okay, you're a super hot redhead, and you're offering me tons of money, like, and the easy life for, like, the rest of my life. And most dudes, most hard-boiled detectives would even be like, okay, sure, let's do this. But, you know, King Faraday obviously has higher aspirations, so he's he's sort of politely kind of, you know, okay, baby, I'll just take a kiss, you know, and that's that's kind of, you know, instead of instead yeah. of becoming sort of, uh, in, I don't know, in, in, in the 1950s, this would be equal to, I'm not your whore. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, 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 so. Yeah, but yeah, but no, but it is, it is a really fun story, I like that, so yeah, yeah. We, we should, I guess, go on to issue two. Yeah, let's talk about issue two. Issue two is titled The Hangman's House, and the synopsis is as follows. King Faraday is recruited by the government to rescue a scientist held in a foreign prison called Hangman's House. King is dropped behind enemy lines and proceeds to start a fight with some foreign soldiers. They lock him in the prison where he tricks a guard and gets free. He locates the scientist, then hypnotizes the guard into believing they're both dead. The guard throws their bodies into the water outside the prison. King revives and saves the professor. They escape pursuit and meet with King's contact for extraction. Right, right out of the gate, this like goes from private investigator to super spy in like five seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and, and what's interesting too is it's it's kind of like he meets his buddy Jimmy West, who is basically like his government contact. He's like, "Oh yeah, you're my old war buddy and everything." And what's going on with the government and all this stuff? And then before you know it. It's like, well, we want we want you to help out on a mission, you know, Faraday. Like, are you into it? And it kind of seems like he, he's not really ready to go along with it. But then all of a sudden, these bad guys bust out. They, they shoot Jimmy West's driver. They shoot Jimmy West. Faraday comes back and blows the guy away. And he's basically like, I'm not going to let you down, Jimmy. I'm going to extract this professor, you know, and, and, and that's... You know, he basically, his, his friend is on his deathbed, and he kind of carries on the mission for his friend and everything. And then, and then that cover—I mean, the cover exudes in the in this in this second issue of Danger Trail, like that exudes fucking super spy. I mean, he's in a trench yeah. coat. He's he's parachuting out of a fucking plane, and he's landing into like uh, I, I love how even in the the description, it's like they can't really say it because the comic doesn't really say it. But like, dude, he's so landing in fucking Soviet Russia. I mean, the, the, the comic <laughs> won't come right out and say it, but it's like that's where he is. They've got the little fucking Cossack uh, hats and everything, you know, and yeah, and, and, and all we, that. We, we, we were joking. We were we were joking about like the James Bond thing being in the middle of the Cold War. But that was at the end of the Cold War. This is slap dab in the middle of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is right there. So it's like they, it's like they can't say it. It's funny. It reminds me of those old Green Hornet serials where they're like, Green Hornet fighting like foreign powers, and it's like, just say fucking Nazis. Yeah. Like, just say it, you know. But they, they of course they can't, you know. And it's like it's the same thing with this. It's like just call them commie Russian fucking pinko douchebags but it's like nope we can't, we can't like they can't they can't say it but i mean essentially like he 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 extracts this professor who's like a pow and 
and like it, the, the the only part of it that's kind of I mean I guess you could say it's like super spy ish, but might be considered in terms of you know maybe it's a little more on the air of the Roger Moore type stuff is they they have that kind of subplot about the hypnosis where like they they yeah, they, hip, yeah. they hypnotize King Faraday so he won't reveal any secrets to the enemy. And and there's like this weird sequence where they kind of tell him like, all right, you, you got to hold your hand out straight. And then like nobody can budge his hand. And then there's like that thing that saves them where like he's got the coin, but then he uses the coin to hypnotize the guard. And then the guard throws them out the, the tower. And then of course they're not really dead and that's how they escape and all that kind of stuff. And that, I guess, you know, you, you might kind of go, oh, okay, well that's a little, that's a little hokey, I suppose. But, it, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, well, well I, you know, yeah, I suppose that you're like, because comics, you know, like that's that's why it happened, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I think like uh, Danger Trail, even though it didn't last very long, I think probably the first issue sold really well. And they're like, well, obviously King Faraday carried that book, which, I mean, honestly, he still exists to this day. So very popular character, at least, you know, to diehard fans. So I guess they were trying to see what they could do with him. And, like, you know, put him in different situations, which, I mean, you know, it, whether it works or not, at least they were, like, going somewhere different. And, you know, as far as how it works, yeah, it was kind of weird. I, like, I I was reading that. I was like, when he put his hand, I was like, you know, like, you know, light as a feather, stiff as a board, light as a feather. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, it, it definitely, this this is definitely the issue, even the second issue in, where we're already seeing the transition from him being, like, you know, like, like I said, one of my favorite characters in DC Comics is Slam Bradley, but he's going from Slam Bradley to more like a Nemesis or a Sarge Steel yeah, or yeah, yeah, Jack Flag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think it's like tantamount to like in a bunch of '70s TV shows. Like this is where the guy walks barefoot over hot coals, you know, and that like, <laughs> that's how like the A Team saves the day or whatever. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's just like yeah. it's one of those things where you're like, okay, like sure he walked over hot coals. <laughs> You know, but it's like that's yeah, basically yeah. that's basically the the solution of the story, essentially. But I mean, I th- this this one though, I mean, I I yeah, I I mean, I've already said it, but I just I love the fucking cover on it, and and the oh, yeah. the only thing that's sort of of note is that even though I mentioned it in the first issue, th- this is the only King Faraday story where he doesn't hook up with like a beautiful damsel in distress. So, yeah, he's kind of fighting all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't really, he doesn't really have time to, 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 you know, get his dick wet, you know, in the middle of all this <laughs> shit. You know, like it's, like it's like, dude, he's he's busy. Like he's got shit to do. Yeah. It's like, well, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, the 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 professor wasn't in a prison full of like sexy Russian babes or whatever. They were all dudes with their, you know. Cossack hats and shit like that. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't even introduce a love interest. There's not even like a chance of just like, oh, I got to get the shit done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like I got I got shit to do. Like I'll I'll do that when I get back or whatever, you know. Faraday, Interpol, new act. Yeah, just join the tour. Probably clears you, but don't get too comfortable. Haley's going down for this. We'll we'll move on to the the third issue of Danger Trail, the King Faraday feature that is titled Thunder Over Thailand. And the synopsis, again, is as follows. King witnesses the murder of a government agent who dies holding a tiny toy elephant. King is recruited to find the killer, an ex-Nazi scientist named Colonel Nego. 
Two of King's contacts meet similar deaths holding toy elephants. King locates the merchant who sells the toys and follows a shipment to the buyer. William Winters, an alias of the Colonel. King parachutes into the jungles of Thailand where he is captured by the Colonel. The scientist shows King his plans for a new weapon of terror. King escapes and destroys the Colonel's facility and Colonel Nego is killed when a giant elephant statue falls on him. Holy shit, this is James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he's 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 a foreign dude in a foreign land. He he's avenging the the death of a government agent. There's like weird ways to murder people, like these weird tiny toy elephants that are, you know, leading to people's deaths. Now, when I when I first saw this, I, I uh, you know, maybe it's just me because he, he meets all these hot ladies and everything, but I didn't realize, like, I guess this lady's name is Vilma Hobart. And, like, I was kind of like, wait, it's that same hot redhead from the first issue, right? Like, because they look yeah. kind of the same to me, but it turns out, like, it's not Julie Stevens. Like, this is another, you know, damsel, I guess, basically. But, again, like, that is very much in the vein of, of James Bond. You know, he's got a, a, a new Bond girl every movie, or, or sometimes a new Bond girl within, you know, scene, from scene to scene. You know, so so in this case, in this issue, it's it's a totally different hot, red-headed girl, you know, so. Yeah, and this is also where his look starts to change a little bit, too. Yeah, and I mean, this, again, it brings back the, the Nazi angle to it, which, again, they're probably easy easy villains to use, I mean, in, yeah. in terms of... But, but, but uh, it's still the 50s, so there's still some anger there. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, but I guess what I mean is it's, it's, it's easy in the sense that... You, I don't think anybody's going to object to, to a Nazi turning out to... Oh, yeah, yeah. And and you can go anywhere in the world, and at this point in time, it's believable that Nazis would be anywhere but fucking Germany. Do you know what I mean? Because they're all they're all hiding out. I mean, I'm kind of surprised. I know, given given what we talked about in the the Halloween episodes, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't in South America. But you know, <laughs> so he's in Thailand. I thought I was like, dude, I thought all Nazi war criminals like expatriated to fucking South America. But apparently, some of them in in DC Comics they expatriate to Thailand, and of course, you know, wherever the hell King Faraday was in the first issue. So you know, that's that's kind of interesting. Well, one thing I really like about this is like it's, as the series progresses is they establish his identity more and more. Because, I mean, in the first issue, he was a private dick, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, there's a lot of really cool, like, you know, PIs in the DC universe. And I've already mentioned Slam Bradley. There's Midnight. There's, I'm trying to think of somebody off the top of my head. Uh, Midnight, Slam Bradley. Uh, buh, 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 buh. What's his name? Derek. The, the, who's the guy that, um, oh, I'm trying to remember, Roy Raymond and then Roy Raymond yeah. Jr.? Like, they, they yeah. were all, like, sort of detectives and PIs and stuff like that. Like, the, yeah. I think Roy Raymond Jr. ends up becoming, like, Owl Man and the Outsiders or something like that. Yeah. But they were they were all, you know, detectives and PIs and stuff like that in, in D.C. Or, like, the, the female version of Johnny Thunder, who had a Thunderbolt yeah, herself. Yeah. Like, she was a, a private detective and stuff. So, like, yeah, yeah. There's, tons of, there's tons of PIs and detectives in the D.C. universe. Yeah, and then you have, like, you know, you're more established ones, like Batman, obviously. If you talk about Batman as a detective, then i got to give some love to Ralph Dinby, you know, because the Elongated Man was a... Was yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I I, I give no hate to Ralph Dibney at all. He's, he's he's awesome. Rest in peace, sir. Rest in peace. I believe that individual passed beyond the veil at the hands of one Tommy Monahan, who himself later mistakenly fell onto a train track. I am told. Now, why is it that most of your criminal acquaintances seem to be deceased? Perhaps my friends are simply prone to misfortune, Agent Faraday. But yeah, I, I like the fact that they like kind of saw where King Faraday was going, and he was really popular. And like, like I said, it's like this is before James Bond, and they're like, let's make him a super spy. And like, the progression doesn't hurt. You know, it was like the second issue is like, you know, I'm doing this for a friend. You know, and then third issue is like. Hell, I'm just doing this, you know. It's like he's like he like these these balls into it, and like yeah, he's I, basically I, I, like this is this is what he does now, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's like that's one of the the things I like about King Faraday, and especially like in the horrible ways he's been treated in media, as far as cartoons and whatnot. He's always a very stalwart, very solid character. He doesn't compromise his values. He's not an asshole. He's not like you know. You know, like this guy who who gives up on stuff really easily, and you see this like especially like you know in the second and third issues, he's like you know, I, I have a job to do and I'm going to do the damn job, and you know it's like it's that '50s vibe, you know. It's like you know it sounds really cliched. It sounds like like you said, oh my god, misogynistic. But seriously, is there anything wrong with a rough, tough, tumble guy? Just doing like you know the best he can and like fighting the bad guys, you know, punching out fucking Nazis. There, How is that bad? There, there's not, but but I imagine there's somebody who who would find some kind of problem there. But but I I think there's not. I mean I think I I, I think that's why they. It's like somebody that that is that stalwart. I think that's why you end up having these cases where they turn him, they Superboy prime him. You know, they turn him into yeah. this nefarious douchebag who actually you know instead of him being the guy who hunts down nazi war criminals it turns out like he financed nazi war criminals or some crap you know what i mean and it's just like come on man like yeah, or guys... his father was a nazi war criminal or something yeah yeah or yeah. some some shit and it's like it's just stuff like that where i get fucking pissed off because i'm like you know what fuck you guys like you know what you can't handle that he's just a dude who does a bunch of good stuff it's like you gotta find some way to paint him in like some kind of ugly light and it's like like, I don't know, like that that kind of stuff just pisses me off. So it's like one of those things where it's like I really, really wanted to like that New Teen Titans games graphic novel because I was like, dude, George Perez, Marv Wolfman. It's like this untold story of the Titans and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like it, it's unfortunate, but I think I'm at that point where sometimes just the little things can sully the whole experience for me. So I, I guess I'm not as, you know willing to sort of forgive and forget, you know, when it's like, okay, so yeah, uh, a lot of people might be like, King Faraday who? Like, who gives a shit? Like, who cares about King Faraday? But it's the same thing that got me pissed off about Hush. It's like Harold, you know, is like probably not anybody's favorite Batman character, but I mean, I just think it was such a disgrace, you know, such a disservice, you know, to that. Harold was a dwarf who worked for Bruce Wayne and like made a lot of his tech like in the early 90s. So. Yeah, yeah. And 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 they just treated him like shit and hush. I mean, it turns out he he was bought out by Hush cuz he wanted to get with the ladies and get some plastic surgery. Like fucking Bruce Wayne couldn't afford to <laughs> 
send over like 12 fucking gorgeous women to bang the shit out of Harold, whether he had plastic surgery or not. Of course, say that to uh, any, uh, you know, female comic readers and they'll probably die of a heart attack, but that's okay. But, you know, my point is like, like Bruce Wayne could have easily addressed any uncomfort and or you know, discontent that Harold would have had being in his service. Yet they try to paint it like, oh, he was this poor, ignored, abandoned dwarf character who had to turn to Hush or something like that. And it's just like, oh, that's a load of bullshit, Jeff Loeb. Like, fuck you. You know, like, it's just like one of those things where it's like, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And and it's kind of the same thing with New Teen Titans. No, no, I didn't read New Frontier. I saw the movie. And, like, one of my things that, like, really pissed me off is I watched this movie. And New Frontier is actually a pretty good, like, you know, if you like Aquaman, Aquaman comes off really good in this. Flash does, too. Green Lantern does, too. A lot of characters come off really good in this. But, you know, what really pissed me off is, like, King Faraday is the crux of this goddamn movie. He is, like, the fucking forefather of this goddamn hero movement. And he gets eaten by a dinosaur. And then it's just done. Like it, like nobody even fucking cries over him. Like Wonder Woman's like, oh, that happened. I'm sad. You know, you know, you know what's fight. weird? Like I, I have mixed feelings about that. It's like I have mixed feelings about New Frontier, and I have mixed feelings about the adaptation of it. And I don't want to like get too much into the nitty gritty of it. But essentially, the person who should get eaten by the dinosaur is uh, a Navajo character named Johnny Cloud, who was part of a team called the Losers. I- Actually, I know Johnny Cloud. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. yeah, and he's the one who actually gets eaten by the dinosaur, and that all takes place like in the beginning of the New Frontier, where you know Darwin Cook's kind of paying homage to the losers. So they're on Dinosaur Island, and it kind of details how they all get you know fragged, and then they go into like more of the heroic age and everything. But I, I think even in there, like there, there's that tendency to even in the animated thing to paint King Faraday like. He's uh, basically I I think we're in that age where, you know, the government is not trusted unless I guess you're particular unless you're unless he's like he's like he's like he's like like too normal. You can't have a normal guy be a hero. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know that it has anything to do with normalcy because people would argue that Batman and Green Arrow are normal. And yet in that, you know, Bruce Timverse animated incarnations like you've got all these normal people doing the most badass things ever and making people like superman and captain adam look like fucking idiots so i i don't know that it's so much about normalcy but it it seems to me to be you know i don't know i i I think that the reason why it bugs me is i don't think it's it's a fair interpretation like I i don't think it listens to to another side of of a argument, you know, and and basically, I think you know, it's kind of like the way they paint Tony Stark like a fascist in Civil War because he has one opinion yeah, over the other, you know. And I I think Faraday is that unfortunate victim of that kind of treatment where it's like, oh, guess what? We're gonna make him the we're gonna make him the epitome of the political agenda and or party that we disagree with. And now he's going to be the poster boy for that, and thus the character suffers because, you know, it, it, it turns into this political ideology conflict as opposed to just him being like this cool James Bond government agent type guy. It turns into, yeah. you know, it's basically like, you know, it's it's the thing that, that kind of grumps Justin out about Alan Moore's treatment of James Bond. Instead of talking about like what a cool 
you know, awesome movie James Bond is, you end up having this conversation about, you know, rape and Jimmy Bond. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like you don't yeah. you don't go into a, a piece of entertainment to sit down and have an in-depth discussion about the profound effects of rape on the human psyche. It's like you, you go there to, you know, have some sense of escapism and to, you know, hopefully, you know, regale yeah. in, in the fun of, you know, maybe Bond's sexual escapades, maybe his his action, his skiing, his, you know, whatever the fuck. And it's like all those things are, are a mean, fantasy. And, and you know, you know kind of like I, I always feel like it's kind of funny where, you know, I, I don't know if you ever remember your parents telling you this or, or somebody, some adult telling you this, but it's kind of like, you know, that I, I always feel like these days it's like for some reason people miss this conversation or don't have this conversation with their kids. But it's like that conversation where it's like movies are not real life, yeah. you know, and it's just yeah. kind of like just because James Bond can do all this cool shit and bet all these women. Like if you betted as many women as James Bond has in real life, you'd probably die of fucking AIDS. You know, yeah, like, they, so it's like, probably fall off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, it's like, you know, calm down everybody you know like as you're fond of saying you know calm your tits like this is a fantasy like you know not everybody you know well hopefully you know you you would think in the, you know this day and age who the hell knows but i mean from from the perspective of being told movies are not real life you're hoping people don't go out and try to emulate this thinking it is appropriate just because it's a fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like, ju just because Tony Stark gets all the girls doesn't mean you've got to, uh, you know, be snarky and say a bunch of stupid shit. Because just because you say a bunch of snarky, stupid shit doesn't mean you're going to get laid because you don't have Tony Stark's fucking money or mansion or anything else that he's got. So, yeah. you know, just because you take one aspect... You're probably of, not going to get Uma Thurman, I'm just saying. <laughs> just because you take one aspect of somebody's... Uh, personality that you can replicate doesn't mean that that entitles you to to uh, you know somehow live that fantasy life out you know or whatever and it's like I don't know it, it it's kind of a weird conversation but you know the, the the I guess getting back to to King Faraday I mean it's like that's that's part of what this was this was kind of a you know smack dab in the middle of the Cold War you know, fantasy, you know, you, you had the aspect where he was always helping, for the most part, in most of these stories, he was helping a damsel out in distress. You know, in, in the later years in DC Comics, he was always kind of like that go-to government guy, you know, whether he was in yeah. Suicide Squad or New Teen Titans or whatever. And, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that somebody decided to you know, paint a target on his back and have him be the, the whipping boy for, you know, whatever agenda somebody wanted to push yeah. that, you know. Yeah, you, you, you had to be the bad guy, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's just kind of like, I, I find that to be unfortunate, you know, w without getting into too much ranting and raving and, and political flim well, well, when you read when you when you read When you read these comics, though, it's like he would not be the whipping boy. He would be the guy who would be like, no, fuck that. I don't want to do that, you know. It's like... That's where it's like that's where you have like the consistency. It's like you look at somebody like Batman. One of the biggest reasons like a lot of people get pissed off about Bruce Wayne slash, you know, Batman shooting Darkseid with a fucking god bullet is because he doesn't use fucking guns, for Christ's sakes. And like, you know, sure, it's a big character changing up, but like he would not do that. And like he would not shoot someone. And like, you know, it's like King Faraday 
he he has a moral center. He has like you know a way of acting, and for him just to be like you know a government douchebag, he wouldn't act that way. Well, you you know what's funny about that though. I mean, I guess depending on what version of Batman you're talking about, it's like you know people might sit there and be content to say, oh, Batman would never use a gun, but yet even within the context of say like the Dark Knight Returns, he's you know people are fond on Facebook given their their thoughts on gun control of posting the panel where Batman says, this is the weapon of the enemy. We will not use this. We do not need it. We do not want this. But nobody posts the panel where he pulls out a gun and shoots a guy from, so, so the mutant doesn't kill the baby. Do you know what I mean? Like, like nobody posts yeah. that panel, you know, and, 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 you know, nobody posts panels of, you know, 1930s Batman, like cracking people's necks with his fucking foot and, and mowing down people with machine guns and, and well, his little, well, I mean, and like, his little I, hand I, cannon or whatever, you know, I was like, like, 1930s Batman had a holster on his side. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like nobody, nobody posts, you know, pictures of that so it's like i i can see that characters can have different interpretations and be reinterpreted and stuff like that like i'm not going to say that that's not something that people can do there there's a version of king faraday that's a total douchebag that's in the new 52 and i know most people it's like very popular to kind of go oh the new 52 it fucking blows and it's like this was in uh future's end basically was where he was introduced but it's like i'm not gonna I guess point the smoking gun or point the finger at that version of King Faraday because it's like a brand new version of King Faraday, and he's more yeah, like yeah. he's more like a slimy Maxwell Lord type government guy. And it's like, okay, well, if that's how you want to play him, it's like, well, they reimagined him, and he to me, he's almost a totally separate character. He's got like dark hair. It, it basically, he runs this like superhero prison where they stick all the guys from from Earth 2, and, you know, like, so it's like, obviously he's, he's even more a product of people's thoughts and ideas yeah. of current yeah. political climate, you know, like, so, so it's like, it, it, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, I don't particularly like that interpretation of the character, but I'm not going to freak out about it as much as one that has a long established history that goes back to 1950. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the guy they tried to paint as a douchebag in new teen Titans games is essentially the same character that we're just talking about in these 1950s comics. And that bugs me, you know, whereas the new 52 yeah. version, it's like, well, you know what, who knows? Maybe he'll be obliterated a month from now, or maybe he'll still be around, but, you know, to me, it's not even the same character. I mean, you know, uh, for God's sake, Amanda Waller's skinny, you know, so it's like, they're not the same characters, you know, so. Yeah, it's like, you know, like, I mean, as far as New 52 goes, I mean, you can go back to, like, you know, the idea of Harley Quinn being a sycophant and, like, always following Joker around and being like, Mr. J, and everything like that. And now she's, like, some kind of fucking anti-hero who's a badass. So, I mean, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. I guess we should go to uh, issue four. <laughs> Cause we yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk. Let's uh, yeah, let's let's talk about issue four, and then and then yeah, issue four, the King Faraday story is called "Reign of the Scarlet Umbrella." When King's friend, police inspector Raoul Dor, is poisoned, King puts himself on the trail of a cult of killers. The killers are the fanatical followers of a disposed tribal chief. Authorities believe the chief has died in an extinct volcano. 
King follows the trail of the assassins to the volcano and finds the chief is still alive. King proves to the chief's followers that he is not the god he claims to be. The chief dies in a grenade explosion in the crater of the volcano. His followers then jump into the crater to their deaths. Yeah, this is, this is a crazy issue, yeah. This is this is interesting because it switched up the whole Nazi thing because they went from Nazis to you know kamikaze Japanese guys basically like but it still yeah. played off of that kind of the aftermath of World War II where you know yeah. it, 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 this is a little more I mean it's interesting because the previous issue was in Thailand so it had that Asian Eastern feel to it but yet the villain was again this kind of expatriated Nazi war criminal. But in this, it, again, it has the, the sort of Asian flavor, the Eastern flavor to it. But since this has to deal with, like, you know, chieftains and tribes, and, and then, you know, he has that one sequence where he, he fights with that one Japanese guy. It's like this knife fight, and they, they fall underwater, and he's he's like, Jesus, this kamikaze guy, get me the fuck away from him. He's crazy. You know, like, it's like yeah. he's... He's going to murder himself just to fucking get me. Like, get me the fuck out of here, you know, basically. So there's that kind of take on well, it. Which is, I, I, I'd say this one would probably get more lambasted in, in, in modern day than any Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in other words, like, you know how we were talking before about, well, everybody's okay with a Nazi being the bad guy. But in this case, you'd, you'd probably have finger pointing about, well, just because he's Japanese, you know, doesn't mean he's a crazy kamikaze yeah. killer. And just because these guys are, you know, part of a tribe doesn't mean they're sort of, you know, inferior and or, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of the, like the right phrasing, but basically the the idea that the idea that this guy who was the chief pulled the wool over the eyes of all these other, you know, people, and then of course they also follow him to his. It's basically like if if this guy jumps off a bridge, are you guys all going to jump off a bridge? Like this tribe yeah. would be like, hell yeah, you know, like I hell yeah. You know, so it doesn't exactly portray native people in the in the the kindest light. You know, it seems like they're all sort of sheep to the slaughter, basically. But then again, I suppose you could argue that uh, everybody on Facebook is a, a sheep to the slaughter. So you know, whatever. I guess it's all relative, right? Yeah, you know, Facebook comments. You know, you'll you'll have that. I, I kind of like this issue though because it was like. Uh, what's the best way to put it? It's like, I like the idea of insanity in my comics. And when the hero has to deal with shit he can't deal with, it's more fun. Some of my favorite Batman comics, I love Batman. And I know, like, you, you like Batman, but, like, you, you know, you're not a fan of the Bruce Timm version. But, like, my, some of my favorite Batman comics, just like my favorite Spider-Man comics, there's when, like, you know, he gets a shit beat out of him, which King Faraday doesn't get a shit beat out of him this you know, comic, but he's like dealing with something that's like, the fuck is going on? You know, he's like, this is so weird, and like, that's like, that's a good touchstone. It's like this is a fifties comic, and it is weird. It's probably got like, yeah, there's still some you know anger there. There's like you know, some bad hurt there, and I understand where they're coming from, and it's not done as racist. It's like, come on, you've seen Bugs Bunny cartoons like with a bug guy, you know, oh, oh, oh Nekatai, you know, stuff like that. And this is not done as racistly. It's just done in a more, I wouldn't say gentle way. It's done very, very angrily at like, you know, the adversary. 
but it's like trying to mix it up. It's trying to make it like you know these are bad guys and like. Well, they, again, they're not they're not very explicit <laughs> on exactly. It's kind of like the whole foreign powers. Like this is kind of like a, this nondescript tribe. Like they they don't exactly point any fingers or anything. I don't like have a huge problem with Batman the animated series per se. But I think once it turned into the, you know, Batman and Friends on the Justice League and everybody else yeah, is stupid but Batman, like, then that's when I kind of was like, okay. Like, I sort of rolled my eyes at some of those things. You know, it's like when... Oh, no, no, there's no like I said, you don't, you don't have a problem with, like, Batman. You have a problem with Bruce Timm, how he portrayed him, you know. Well, I, I think I think it's more it's more in terms of how he's portrayed with other heroes more than just yeah. him in general you know it's like yeah. i i think i think there's a lot of great batman the animated series episodes but just oh, yeah, yeah. you know the the whole you know it's like oh well if batman like skates on ice and does all this cool stuff but then flash trips on some fucking marbles and he can't outrace a fucking ice cream truck then i get fucking pissed off you know so that's uh, that's, it, that's just how i am you know this is something kind of funny i uh I have been kind of building in my DVD collection recently, and I bought the first season of Superman, the uh, animated series. And there's commentary by Bruce Timm and stuff. Have, have and I have I totally fucking ruined that for you, or what? No, no, he he ruined it for me because uh-huh. uh, I watched like the he had commentary for the main man thing, uh, the main man episode with Lobo. And it was like, uh, and I have like Superman, he can do everything. And I'm like, we have to, like, scale him back and, like, you know, do all the... He sounded like he was pissed off at having to write Superman. Yeah, well, I think he was. I mean, I think they really wanted to just do more... I think they wanted to do Batman the Animated Series until they fucking died. And then, all of a sudden, they were just like, WB's like, hey, can you do, like, a Superman show? And they went, really? Like, we can't do Batman anymore? And then, you know, to me, it's like they just took it out on fucking Superman ever since. But, you know, I I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe that's me being an angry fan. No, 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 I agree, I agree. He sounded like fucking butthurt, yeah. You know, that's kind of my take on it, but, you know. But um, just, just like I, just like I was butthurt about King Faraday getting eaten by a dinosaur, I was like, because seriously, here's what I want in New Frontier. He basically, you know, gives up his life. He like jumps into a dinosaur's mouth with uh, grenades on his uh, chest and blows him up. Okay, that's a cool death. He's like very, you know, self-sacrificing. I can't say that like that's not like a nice ending as far as like being heroic, but goddamn. He was like the the fucking impetus for the whole series. King Faraday was like the guy who like got all these guys together. He like went to Batman. He went to Superman. He went to like Wonder Woman. You know, he he was the guy. And it would have just been nice, just for me, just you know, a little fucking you know, fuck it. Give me give me my diehard ending to see the fucking head of the dinosaur blow up. And King Faraday walk out and be like, you know, like, God damn, that was fucking hard. You know, it was like, that would have been nice. You know, just like, survive, be beat up, bloody, but just like, you know, survive the day. And I just, I, I, I thought they took out a really fun character who, like, meant a lot to the story. And his death did not equal his importance. It was like, he died really quick. It was just like, <laughs> I think I think that's the problem of them trying to like amalgamate things in that movie. I think that's why I have kind of like a weird kind of 
of I'm of two minds about the 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 adaption of that comic series, you know, because there there there's the comic series in of of itself and what I think of it and what I think are the pros to it and what I think are the cons of it, and then there's that animated show which is it tries to turn that comic book into a 70 minute movie and it retains some of the original problems I had with the comic book, but then it compounds them by like what you're saying, where King Faraday essentially becomes Johnny cloud. Cause they couldn't do, they couldn't be fucking futz to bother with the losers, you know? So it's like, then somehow it's like, it's like King Faraday somehow appropriates the end of the losers story. And it's like, is jo- is King Faraday a loser? Like, no, he's not. So it, it sort of fucks with the whole... But it's like, do the creators, like, do the Bruce Timms of the world think that King Faraday is a loser? And that the answer to that may be yes. And then that's why they think it's so clever that they've amalgamated this then. Do you know what I mean? Like, where it's like... Yeah, and, yeah. And, then, and then you start to question, like, the validity of that interpretation, you know, like, and, 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 yeah, and, and how, yeah, how people view and perceive a character like King Faraday. You know, because yeah. you 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 end up having this situation where it's like, do you do you honestly think that that? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the, the, I I don't know. This is going to sound strange, but it's kind of like the attitudes I see about people who have disagreements with certain philosophies, and the attitude that oh well, only only people of a certain age think a certain way, and that could apply to hard work, that could apply to gun control, that could apply to racism, that could apply to like all kinds of things, right? But the, the, there's that weird kind of almost frightening attitude of, well, we just have to wait them all out. And eventually all these bad people who have these bad thoughts, and that's, of course, in air quotes, will just die out eventually. And, like, yeah. that's kind of what I feel is the the end result of King Faraday in that direct-to-video. He's just this he, – he's essentially labeled as a bad person because he had Martian Manhunter in lockup, even though eventually he has, like, a relationship with him and everything. But we'll just yeah. discount that. And now since he's a bad person who, you know, did that bad, bad thing, it's like, well, now he got eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah. So now this new generation – like that's his penance, and yeah, that's now, his honorable. That's his honorable death. Yeah, yeah you know, and, yeah. and now this new generation doesn't have to deal with the quote unquote backward thinking of 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 the King Faraday's of the world. And in the meantime, you're just kind of thinking, well, what about all the good qualities about King Faraday? Now they don't have to deal with the resolve and the wherewithal and the the hardworking, you know, nature, the that that kind of stuff that also is a positive in. The yeah. care, I don't. Know. It's it, it it's kind of strange, and it, it's hard to talk about with get, without getting too super political. But but it's like it, it, the, the, those are the things why like certain things like that will will rub me the wrong way. And it's like that, but I can sort of make the distinction at least with say like the new fifty two version. But I can't I can't make that because to me that's like its own little character. And if he's just a government stooge who's like a slimy Loki character that happens to be a government guy i don't to be honest i don't really give two shits about it because it's the new 52 but but But, that's the good thing you say about danger trail though he was spotlighted and he was awesome yeah yeah no it's cool i mean 
Danger Trail's cool. You know, the the other thing we I, I've never actually checked out the the there was like the '90s miniseries as well. I think I think some of it tried to recapture this original series, but I think we both agreed that when we were gonna talk about Danger Trail, we would want to talk about this actual you know, the original series from the 50s. So I'm, I'm glad we took a look at it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to us discuss the various issues, and hopefully you're not too put off by any detours or dovetails into our own little, you know, commentary and, and thoughts on, on what people... Hey, hey, it is comic history, so it's pretty good stuff. I, I enjoyed this, yeah. See that sour-looking man down there? He'll explain everything. His name's Faraday. Works for the government. And if you like Rick Flagg, you'll love him. You're goddamn right I did! So I guess what we'll do is we'll go into our regularly scheduled segment of the week, which is what is awesome in your world this week. And that's usually when we discuss a film, a TV book, movie, comic book, something, basically something we're really into or something that was really awesome that happened to us during the week. And... I will ask you, Mr. Tony Jackson, what was awesome in your world this week? I want to be really quick and concise. I picked up uh, Eric O'Grady slash Black Ant from Walgreens this week. He, he He's not actually Eric O'Grady. He's actually his LMD version, which is Black Ant, which is he's a robot, a synthesoid. And despite that, he's a really cool figure. He's got the uh, Spider-Man book, very thin, very slim. But he's really cool. I like the paint scheme. He's really nice. And I don't really know that much about Eric O'Grady, except for the fact that he was the irredeemable Ant Man and he died and he got replaced. And this is actually kind of funny because on the back of the packaging, they say he's a hero. But this version is actually the villain in this version. The LMD was actually a bad guy, which is kind of cool. So they could put him with your Blizzard, your Tiger Shark, and your. Baron Zemo and your, you know, Batrock and have like kind of a new Masters of Evil. So yeah. I like him. Walgreens has really been hitting out of the park with their exclusives, so I'm I'm pretty happy with him. Yeah, no, he's he's a fun he's a fun figure. He was pretty cool. I will go ahead and, and do my awesome thing of the week. And this is more kind of like a a generalization, but I'm very happy with what's going on with Silver Surfer, my man in general. And I just wanted to say, like, the I've been catching up on the ongoing title, the, the Dan Slott, Mike Allred title and everything. I started reading some of the issues that have, like, the little Secret War label tie-ins on them and everything like that. So that's kind of whereabouts I am. You know, I think I, I just read, like, issues 12 through 14, and, of course, that book is still consistently strong. I really enjoy it. I know a lot of people are kind of like, it just rips off Doctor Who, but, like, you know what? Fuck you, Doctor Who guys. Silver Surfer's <laughs> awesome. And, like, even if it rips off Doctor Who, it's kind of like what you were saying before, Tony. It's like, well, at least it's ripping off something that people like that's considered cool. So, you know, whatever. But it's not like Silver Surfer's never traveled the spaceways with, like, a cool chick before or anything like that. So it's like, this is just another interpretation of it. I mean, it's got a decidedly Mike Allred slant to it with his art and everything, and, and obviously he's probably got a heavy hand in some of the way the the plot's going and, and that kind of deal, but I've I've really been liking that book. And then 
what really tickled my fancy is in looking at all these Secret War tie-ins and everything, one of the tie-in miniseries is entitled Secret Wars Battle World. And Battle World number four is almost like a Silver Surfer-centric issue. It's got a bunch of different short stories with a bunch of different like alternate versions of the Silver Surfer. But of course, my favorite part was they go to the, the version where the, the Hulk basically becomes the maestro. And so, oh yeah, I think it's called like the Maestro Dimension. Okay, well, wh- whatever the fuck that that two issue series that Peter David wrote with Maestro in it is that I can't think of right now. But basically, Silver Surfer is coming to collect his broken surfboard because if you remember, there's that whole trophy room with like all the different guys that supposedly the Maestro kicked his ass. So the surfer comes back. And, you know, of course, Maestro tries to punch him out and, and do all this nasty stuff to him. But what what was my favorite part was there's this awesome panel where Silver Surfer just bitch slaps the Maestro. And, and he actually I, I actually heard Captain Picard's voice in my head when I was reading this because he's like, oh, do shut up. And then he just bitch slaps him. And like that was like my favorite thing ever. And, and on top of it, the reason <laughs> there's. You're saying in this this version of the uh, Marvel Universe, Silver Surfer doesn't get his arm broke by fucking Black Panther. Right, right, exactly. And 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 then the other thing that totally like legitimizes it for me too is like Peter David wrote the story, so like if anybody was gonna like make the Maestro like pwn the Silver Surfer, it's like it you know you'd think it'd be like Peter David or whatever, but you know at least Peter David has the good sense to know that the Silver Surfer can't be pwned by the Hulk, so or the Maestro or whatever. So it's like I just you know to me basically it was it was kind of how I always felt about like Punisher versus Batman when Chuck Dixon wrote it, and it's like you know he had Batman pwn the Punisher, and I'm kind of like well you know what Chuck Dixon's wrote both of the characters, like if anybody is an authoritative source on who yeah, would win yeah. against who in the fight, it's going to be Chuck Dixon. So I, I give it up to him, you know? And it's like, I feel the same way about this. I'm like, dude, if anybody's authoritative on this, it's it's going to be Peter David. So, you know, seeing him bitch slap the maestro, I was like, well, that's a total legit bitch slap, too. It's not like it's not like anybody needs to be butthurt over it. It's just that's the way it is. Like, the Silver Surfer's awesome, and that's, that's the end of the story. And he also actually, uh, the, uh, another version of the Silver Surfer, I guess you'd call him Silver Surfer 2099, appears uh, in, in the, the secret... Crusader. It, it's like... Well, it, it's it's the Secret Wars 2099 title. And so I guess there's like there's like the Avengers 2099 and the Defenders oh, really? 2099. Wow. So, so, obviously the Silver Surfer is part of the Defenders 2099. And, and he does have like a, a minor Bruce Tim like, ooh! moment because like they have to incapacitate like I think Hulk 2099 and himself and uh, there's some line of dialogue about well it's pretty easy to beat you if we cut you off from like your cosmic you know the the cosmic energy that powers you and and they do manage to capture it, it, it's that. Hulk 20 it's Hulk 2099 the big ogre looking motherfucker yeah like he yeah was yeah the yeah that's yeah. cool that's and 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 so but but there is some rather cool moments where I guess 
the the Hercules and I guess this guy named Ronan who's like the Namor of the 2099 group like they're getting into mm-hmm. a fight over Valkyrie or whatever and like what's funny is there's this awesome scene where like Surfer's like alright you guys gotta stop now and at first they're not gonna stop fighting each other and then he just kind of like tweaks his hand where he's like power cosmicking them and like basically like sort of cramps them down and they're like okay okay <laughs> we're gonna stop fighting now we give up we give up so it's like I, I just like that there seemed to be a lot of a lot of Silver Surfer love this week for me, you know, in terms of when I was reading all this stuff. So I I, I approve, and Silver Surfer is the man, and anybody who says otherwise is a duty head. So, well, you know, Norn Rad does this all for Shalabal. Well, it's funny, like even Shalabal did make a, a minor appearance in the the latest issue of the Surfer that I read, even though it was like, how do I explain it? It wasn't really her. But she does make an appearance. Well, no, I know how much you like Silver Surfer, and I know how much you hate the Black Panther arm-breaking <laughs> thing, which, 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 is, which is not unfounded. That is bullshit. That is fucking goddamn bullshit. He is almost likened to a god. So for a guy who's like, I've got black pajamas to break your fucking arm... Yeah, kind of bullshit. So I'm I don't know, dude. They, they, are, they are black pajamas from Wakanda, so... I guess they made their <laughs> black pajamas made of vibranium or something. I don't know, but yeah. Anyway, so I so I was I was super happy about all the the Silver Surfer goodness, and that is my awesome thing of the week. So again, we we hope you've enjoyed listening to our super secret spy episode of Fan Halls. It's so super secret that we're recording this on totally not the regular night and or day because we're being super super secret spies. And yeah, so and and so yeah, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us discuss Mike Grell's Permission to Die with James Bond and King Faraday in his Danger Trail shorts. And of course, I guess if you have any comments, questions, concerns, and you know feedback, emails, all that kind of stuff, you can send us an email at fanholspodcast at gmail dot com. And we can be found on all kinds of good social media like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. So you can catch us on all of those places. So, again, you know, we appreciate all the likes and feedbacks and shares. So thank you for all the shares and feedbacks on and likes on Facebook. And we are on iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher Radio. You can stream us on all the apps out there. So any reviews or five-star reviews, they'd be appreciated. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Tony and Mr. Bond. What do you have to say? Do you expect me to talk, Blofeld? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to listen to fan holes. Peace, money penny.
Uh, what the fuck do I care about the UK release date, Wikipedia? Who gives a shit? I want to know when it comes out in America, you stupid fuck. I don't give a shit about your, your British spy. I want to know when it comes out in America. This is fucking bullshit. I, I think I wrote it down. I mean, the reason why we're releasing it is because it comes out in November. But I, I, say, I think it's November, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure before we, you know, that, that I wrote it down. It says here, oh, November 6th. Spectre, new James Bond movie. Okay, so let me just put that in there so that I can remember that as we're... Does James Bond actually have the record as the most... as the, as the film character has been portrayed by the most different actors? I... I don't know. I don't... I, I have no idea. It's, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess... Unless, like, the the only the only franchise I could think that has like a comparable number of movies with different people playing the lead character. Tom Clancy novels, yeah. No, I was gonna say I know this is funny, but I was gonna say Jason Voorhees, like, because there's been like eleven or twelve movies, and it's it's I'm not gonna say it's never been the same guy twice, but there's at least been like what four or five different dudes who have played Jason Voorhees. So and and obviously that's less than James Bond, but you know anyway. Yeah, anyway, no idea. yeah, we're good. Away, 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 away. <laughs> <laughs> is, is the rhythm going to get you? <laughs> I guess.